0: Like I said, we've been working our way through uh, Isaiah, and um, if you're visiting with us this morning or just joining us, we're uh, a good chunk of the way through Isaiah. We kind of started the first 39 chapters last summer. We've been working through the second part of Isaiah this summer, and we're kind of into these last final 10 chapters of Isaiah, and it's structured. There was a word I asked you to say last week. I don't expect that you remembered it, um, but the word was chiasm. I don't remember if we touched on that in an SVMC class or not, um, but it's a, it's a biblical structure that is kind of mirrored, and uh, this structure uh, kind of builds its way to a climatic moment, um, and, and we've been working our way through that. Beginning uh, and end of each of these sections. Last week, we talked about how uh, both of those sections are inviting all nations to participate in this renewal, in this renewed uh, expression, this vision of God's kingdom. Everyone is being invited. This isn't, turns out, this isn't just good news for uh, the Jewish people, for the biological children of, of Abraham, but this is good news for everyone. And the prophet is talking about this, writing about how this good news is expanding. This morning we're going to be looking at two sections which run from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 9 through 58, through the whole of chapter 58. And then Isaiah 65 through sixty-six, seventeen. 17. So these are two pretty good chunks of Scripture uh, that are dealing with uh, kind of two groups of people: those that are um, responding and, and serving Yahweh, serving God, and those that are refusing to serve Yahweh, um, and what who the prophet calls uh, the wicked in a number of places. Two pretty big chunks with a, a lot of content, and we're going to be just kind of touching on the surface, I encourage you uh, to go home if you haven't already, read these passages um, because there's, there's, we'll talk about this in a little bit, there's some beautiful expressions of this renewed uh, place this, this uh, and receiving of peace and blessing on those that are faithfully uh, living out the calling of Yahweh on their lives. As we look at that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would um, speak to us through me or despite me. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, these two sections of Isaiah uh, kind of give a contrast, like I said, between what's called the wicked and the servants. And this starts in chapter 56, verses 9 through 12, which is comparing Israel's leaders to wild animals or sleeping dogs. And that kind of expression means that they have no understanding of what Yahweh is doing. I have a new dog in our house, and when it's sleeping, you can get away, there's a lot of stuff that you can go about the house doing because that dog is out. And and here, that's not a good thing, right? In my house right now, it's a good thing. Uh, But for Isaiah, the people sleeping, the, the leaders, the people that are supposed to be on watch aren't. They're falling asleep. They're not paying attention to what God is doing in their midst. And then in Isaiah 57 It begins, the righteous perish and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away while no one understands. It seems that the righteous, those that are responding positively to Yahweh's calling on their lives, are living and experiencing the the pattern of the suffering servant that we talked about earlier this summer where the suffering servant is faithfully living out what God has called that servant to do and is suffering because of it, is suffering in place of the people. And now the righteous, as they are responding positively to the way God is calling them to live, end up suffering because of it. Following the suffering servant isn't always, uh, doesn't always mean that our lives here and now are... Positive in, in the way that the world expects it to be. All right? <clears throat> when we choose to follow Jesus, it should stand to reason. In fact, Jesus tells us that if the world hated him, it's going to hate us too. It's, it, we have this um, suffering part of our life that we are called to. And yet, the righteous, those living in right ways, and right relationship are receiving something. They're receiving a great blessing. They're receiving rest for their faithfulness. Reading through the section, the prophet and Yahweh actually have some very strong words for the wicked and those that aren't responding. These people have turned from Yahweh and are sacrificing to idols. They're living in ways that are inconsistent with the nature of God. We might not refer to this as idolatry anymore. We give it all kinds of other names. Other names for uh, giving jobs or money or fame or prestige or power or any other number of things. When we give those things precedence over Yahweh, this is what uh, the prophet here is calling idolatry. They're following other things. They're allowing other platforms, other structures, other pursuits to govern the way that they are living their everyday lives. And wickedness isn't just about what the big bad world does out there. As we look at what the prophet is talking about, as Isaiah will point out, this is also about the ways the good temple-going people have also turned from following Yahweh, even while they appear to be doing all the right stuff, even while they're showing up at the temple at the right time of day, at the right time of the week, while it seems that they're going through all of the right motions, Yahweh is saying, no, 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 this isn't This isn't what my uh, worship is about. This isn't what the fast is supposed to be about. There's something more to it. There's something more that you're missing. Isaiah writes, But whoever takes refuge in me shall possess the land and inherit my holy mountain. It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every uh, obstruction from my people's way. So what's the difference here in this Isaiah passage between the wicked and the righteous? Is it that the righteous just have it all so together, they know exactly the right things to do and they know exactly and they do it perfectly every time? Is there some special knowledge that they have? Isaiah writes in 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and listen to this, and also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite, for I will not continually accuse, nor will I always be angry, for then the spirit would grow faint before me, even the souls that I have made because of their wickedness because of their wicked covetousness i was angry remember when israel wanted to be like everyone else and have a king that comes in samuel they look around at all the other nations and all the other nations have kings and they decide you know what we want a visible king we want a kingdom like everyone else we want to i'm not sure what part of you know, having a king is really that enticing. We want to pay taxes. We want to. Serve. Um, I, I'm not sure what all they're gung ho about having that visible representation. But it turns out trying to be like everyone else wasn't really that great for Israel. I have to say, church, we do some of the same kind of stuff today. Everyone else is doing it. And so we run after power over trying to enforce our will on people around us. We engage in the political divisions rather than following the pattern of the suffering servant. And we can engage in our own wicked covetousness. Isaiah goes on to say, I struck them. I hid and was angry. This is talking about God. But they kept turning back to their own ways. They kept going back to the patterns they had set for themselves. "'I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will lead them and repay them with comfort, creating for their mourners the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and the near,' says Yahweh. "'And I will heal them, but the wicked are like the tossing sea that cannot keep still. Its waters toss up mire and mud. There is no peace,' says my God." For the wicked. so What's the difference here between the wicked and the servants? It's that the servants come in humility and confession and repentance. It doesn't mean that they've got it right every single time. It doesn't mean that they haven't had their own issues with idolatry and covetousness and all the other th- ways that they themselves... <clears throat> have turned from Yahweh, but they recognize it and they're coming in confession. They're humbling themselves and coming back in to the way Yahweh is trying to give peace and and heal them. Yahweh wants to dwell with those who humble themselves. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to share His peace. And in chapter 58, we continue to see that the wicked are those who have failed to live out the ways of Yahweh. This is the passage that that Sister Kathy read for us this morning. We've named idolatry and covetousness, wanting what others have or wanting to be like everyone else. Now, more of the wickedness of these folks is announced. And the prophet says, shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. He wants them to know the ways that they've come out of alignment with the way God's asking them to live. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways. At least that's what they're saying. As if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They want God on their side. And they say, why do we fast but do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? And the prophet says, look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. These are people that want the benefits of Yahweh. They want all the blessing. They want all of the good stuff that goes along with it without living in right relationship with God and without living in right relationship with those around them. They're looking for their own interests, themselves first, me first. How does it affect me? You fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Even in their fasting. Even though they're going through the correct motions, it's done for the wrong motives. They're arguing over the particulars. Even in Jesus' day, the religious elites are debating how to fast, when to fast, when the right time to fast, and why aren't Jesus' followers fasting? Like, we got to get all the little details down here. And God asks Is such, is this what I'm about? Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Is it to show up on Sunday morning and just do the right thing so everybody sees that you're a good person? Because you showed up at the right time. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now look, humbling oneself is a good thing. Sackcloth and ashes was an acceptable way of mourning, and there's lots of instances throughout Scripture where folks put on sackcloth and ashes where they enter into mourning, and it is true, it is meaningful, it is contrite, it is, it is confessional. Think of the, the folks in Nineveh. You know, Jonah goes and he, he gives them the message of God and Jonah goes to, to wait for their destruction, looking hopefully for their destruction. And the people put on sackcloth and ashes and they mourn and it impacts the way that they're living. Again, this seems to all be about a, a religious show that is put on going through the motions for everyone to see just how good and, a, and holy of a person you are. But what the prophet makes clear is that the religious show, the display of humility and fasting, it hasn't actually impacted the way these people are living. They're all about themselves. They're not about setting anyone free. They're not about seeking the good of anyone around them. It's just, how, how, do, how does it make me look? Do my neighbors know that I, you know, I, went to, I was a good church-going person that day? <clears throat> I actually find it fascinating that what really ticks off Yahweh here is similar to the charge that's often presented by folks who aren't followers of Jesus when they look at the church. And that is that our actions don't match our words or what we say we believe. So Yahweh spells out the kind of fast, or maybe the way God expects fasting and genuine humility to impact us. Here's what this should look like. When you fast, it should lead you to this way of living. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? This message is supposed to sink in you. Repentance and confession is supposed to then impact the way that you live so that you are blessing other people. Remember, the Sabbath day was about remembering that they had been slaves in Egypt and then had been released. They had been freed. God had said, look, your worth is no longer based on how many bricks you make. And you need to have this day to just be, to just rest, to know that God is sustaining things and carrying on the world, not you by your own work. What God is saying here is, You're spending this day that's supposed to be about freedom and blessing and rest, and you're just enslaving other people, not setting anyone free. Now, look, when we read this passage, at least in my own thinking and and past, I'll say that I have a tendency to over-spiritualize some of these. And I'll was reading something this week about how uh, our hymns and and our contemporary songs uh, do this all the time, where we turn sharing your bread with the hungry into something that's purely spiritual. You know, we're all hungering and thirsting. um, And Jesus talks about that, hungering and thirsting. But here, like, I mean, the prophet's talking about people who are actually hungry, who don't have enough food, who aren't having their basic necessities met. Sharing your bread with the hungry is actually here in this passage, about helping to feed the hungry and break cycles of poverty. We need to be careful uh, about not making this only spiritual poverty or spiritual nakedness. There are other places in Scripture where Jesus uses language like that about hungering and thirsting. But this passage here is about faith or faithfulness lived out, expressed Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Let your light shine, that people will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. Let them see your faith expressed, lived out. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then you're light. Shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Listen to all these blessings. Listen to to the life that, that God intends. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise, raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, if you keep it, if you do it, not going your own ways... Serving your own interests and pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. The servants are about expressing their faithfulness, their allegiance to Yahweh. It's not about just studying and memorizing the Torah. That's important. I've been talking in summer Sunday school about um, learning Jesus, learning about Jesus, seeing the way Jesus lived and acted, and, 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 and soaking in that. But for it to impact our the way we live. The other part of this passage then is in... Um, Chapter 65 and part of 66, God continues to call out the people who keep turning away. It's a a theme that runs throughout these these, uh, scriptures. Yahweh keeps reaching out, and yet many continue to live in ways inconsistent with the way of Yahweh. Those who faithfully continue to walk in God's way, find blessing, find rest, find peace. This is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. When people are walking in line, walking in the way of Yahweh, they're experiencing rest, they're experiencing peace, they're experiencing blessing. It may not look like the kind of blessing that we always expect. We talked about the suffering servant. We talked about uh, these faithful servants that continue to kind of live in this pattern. They're finding rest, finding peace. In fact, the rest of chapter 65 through 66 17 is a lengthy description of blessing for those whose lives reflect faithfulness to Yahweh. I encourage you to go home this afternoon or, you know, this evening, in the next week, and read through these passages, chapter 65 through sixty-six, seventeen, 17. And just look at all the blessing. Look at the way that God is, is providing this peace and providing this rest. See, the good news of the whole biblical story is that God is far more of a blessing God. Back to the very first story in Genesis. Nothing says God has to suspend the consequences for Adam and Eve when they're told... You know, if you eat from this tree, you are going to experience death. Well, they, they eat the fruit, and, and, and they kind of receive the condemnation of the curse. But remember, the, the result of their eating the fruit was death. And yet, they don't die immediately. God suspends that for a time, allows them to still see some blessing, some fruitfulness. They, they have their children, and, you know, blessings at different points and, you know, curses at, at another point. Nothing says God needed to bless Abraham with a plan for blessing the world. Nothing says Yahweh needs to keep pursuing His people again and again and again through wilderness, through their complaining, through uh, evil kings, through exile. And yet what we find in Scripture throughout the whole biblical story is a God who keeps coming back to face us. Who's not about turning His back on His people. But who keeps providing opportunity to come back into relationship, who keeps again and again and again pursuing His people in love, in a desire for them to know the life worth living, to receive peace, to receive rest, to receive His blessing? And so the story of Scripture is a God who continually pursues in order to bless. Next week we'll be looking more at the the prayer of repentance that's lifted up by those who are trying to really humble themselves and walk in the way of Yahweh. So as you read through these passages, I want you to see just how much God is longing to bless Even those that continually refuse to to walk in the way God desires, He's trying. He's trying to provide opportunities. And yet God is going to honor, I believe, honor their decision. If they choose to continue to walk uh, in their own way, seek their own uh, covetousness, and seek their own welfare, people want to continue in the the patterns of selfishness and dealing in death, then it seems God allows those patterns to take their full effect in continued exile and ways of death. But what I find so hopeful in this passage and the way Isaiah structures this to continue to move towards this climatic moment is that there is blessing and peace and He wants that message to go out to everyone. And so we continue to see this grand unveiling of God's vision for a renewed place, for a renewed kingdom, taking its full impact on His people. This morning we're going to respond in singing Build Your Kingdom Here. It's a a fun song. It's a celebratory song. It is uh, about this life and the fullness of God's reign coming to bear uh, on the earth. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song.